Pastor Steve, who was with us last week. I'm so glad I did not get any emails regarding essential oils. <laughs> I sat here in the front row, and I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, oh, Lord Jesus. But uh, it, it was great to have him with us, and uh, he's a good friend, and hopefully we get to see him again uh, when he's back in this, this area. Hey, we're kicking off a new series this morning, a new series entitled Along the Way, Along the Way, and I've subtitled it Walking with Jesus. I'm excited about this series. Um, it was a series that was actually kind of birthed in my heart when I was in Israel last year. I got to travel to Israel for the first time, and, uh, and it had a dramatic impact on my life, a profound impact. And it was actually riding in the bus from when we left Galilee, and we're traveling down the Jordan Valley towards Jerusalem, that I started thinking about this series um, because there are some things that stood out to me about Jesus' life and ministry being there in the Holy Land. And so we're going to spend a few weeks looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus, but we're going to take a bit of a different approach. We're going to take a different approach. We're going to look at some snapshots, some moments that Jesus had as he encountered people along the way. And, and the Bible actually talks about that. The writers of the Gospels talk about that in, in one way or another, along the way to this place, or on the way to this village, or on the way to Jerusalem, and then something happens. And we can kind of overlook that phrase. You know, Jesus didn't teleport from place to place. He probably could have, but he didn't. And he didn't take a bus because, well, they didn't have him. He walked. Everywhere he went, he walked. If you know anything about walking over great distances, you know this. You don't walk quickly, right? You pace yourself. You take your time. And there's something about the pace of Jesus' life and ministry that I think we can miss in the busy lives we live. In fact, it's amazing to me how frantic our lives become. Maybe it's just me, but... I've talked to enough of you that I know that, that this probably characterizes your life a little bit as well. And I think that word frank, frantic, not just busy, but sometimes it just feels like we're going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And when we're not there yet, we're already thinking about there. I'm in the middle of one thing, but I'm already thinking about the next five things that I need to do. Anyone relate to that? Right? And so even if I'm not busy on the outside, my mind is just racing. We're hurried. We get impatient. I want to ask you to raise your hands. Our, our lives are packed. There's no margin. There's no margin. In fact, in talking about Sabbath, it's hard for us to stop, to take a break, to catch our breath, to do nothing, to do nothing. In fact, we, we live in a culture and a society that, that really frowns on uh, what they would characterize as laziness or slothfulness. And, and certainly there's a, a way of life. If you're taking every day off, that's not a good thing. But we have to slow down and we have to stop. And especially in this digital age, find place to unplug. To stop being stimulated by these outward influences. I mentioned impatience. It's one of the, the great indicators of how busy and frantic our lives become. 
because we get impatient. Right? 210, 57, 405, right? And your, your heart rate just starts kind of increasing like, oh my goodness. It's amazing to me how impatient I get on the freeway when I'm actually not in a hurry. I don't have to be anywhere, but the traffic drives me nuts because you're holding me up from getting to the place that I don't really have to be there in, in right, any time frame. But you know what I'm talking about? When you're at a stoplight and that person in front of you hesitates for just a couple of seconds before going, right? And you're like, come on, (laughs) don't you know how important I am? And I, let's go. Standing in line at the grocery store. We've all done this, right? Which we size up the lines after complaining internally that they don't have more check stands open, right? What is up with Walmart? They're the biggest company in the world, and they can't afford two more checkers at the check stands. So I'm already stressed out. Then I check out the lines. I'm eyeing people's baskets, right? And then I get in that line thinking I picked the right one, but I'm watching around me to make sure that I'm winning a race that no one cares about. And we get stressed out. And then, of course, you end up behind the person who pulls out a checkbook. checkbook. (laughs) (sighs) And that's on the day when you're not in a hurry and you don't have to be anywhere. Forget about it if you actually are in a rush because you've waited to the last minute because your life is so full and busy. We have calendars and reminders and to-do lists and all kinds of devices that bing and bong and beep and do all kinds of things to tell us what we have. And those are, those are helpful things, right? The, the one that's my favorite is when you're getting on an airplane and there's this mad, they announce we're boarding and there's this mad rush to the gate and people are cutting in line and I'm just like, you know, it's not going to leave without you. Right? Now, I get the whole, I, I brought too much luggage, and so I have to make sure I get the overhead bin storage. Right? There's, there's that part, which is what most people are thinking about. Uh, I was on a flight. We were going from L.A. to Dubai. It's a 16-and-a-half-hour flight. And part of, part of the people that were in my group were like, okay, let's go. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to be on that plane for almost 17 hours. Walk around a little bit. Stand. Believe me, it's worth it. But we're in such a hurry that we feel like we've got to beat the the person next to us to whatever it is. We're going to prove something, be somewhere, do something. And so often we just wake up already stressed out, already thinking about the day and thinking about the week. And along the way, we miss the things that Jesus has for us. We miss the things that Jesus has for us. There was a pace about Jesus' life and ministry. He didn't mind being interrupted. He didn't mind being interrupted. And when he would come to a town as he was walking, he enjoyed being with the people. He enjoyed being with the disciples. Whether it was 
the three that were closest to him were the 12 or the 70, and they're kind of these circles of, of proximity to Jesus, but he enjoyed being with his people, and we're going to look at a story this morning that illustrates that point. Before we get to that, though, uh, we understand that Jesus walked everywhere, but here's the thing that struck me in Israel, is how far he walked. And so we're going to put up a little map of just the northern part of Israel. It's the part of Israel where Jesus' ministry really focused. We kind of cut out the Negev and then the southern part because there's not a whole lot there, honestly. Um, but Jesus, he focused his ministry in a couple of different areas. Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, and then Galilee in the northern part of the country. There's, there's two primary places where Jesus' ministry took place, and it's in these two regions. And so uh, to give you a little bit of a, an idea of the scale, so Capernaum in the north is where Jesus really was, his ministry was based out of Capernaum. Of course, Nazareth, where he grew up, um, they weren't a huge fan. He wasn't welcome in his, his own hometown. And so he moved to Capernaum. Capernaum was the home of Simon Peter. Um, his house is there. In fact, you can still go there today and see where Peter's houses, they've built this really cool Catholic church. It looks kind of like a spaceship that, that is suspended over Peter's house. By the way, how do they know it's Peter's house? There's a mosaic at the door that says Peter's house. And, uh, and so they know this is Peter's house. It says it right there. And in fact, there's the Jesus fish, which, we, right, which for the, the early church, their symbol was for the church was not the cross or for Christianity, it was, it was the fish. So from Capernaum, and he ministered to the north of this all the way up to Tyre and Sidon as well, but from Capernaum to Jerusalem, where are we at? Right there. Jerusalem is about 110 miles. So that's from here to San Diego. So, so when you read in the Bible that Jesus went from, from Galilee to Jerusalem, just imagine he walked from here to San Diego. That's a long walk. They estimate that Jesus walked probably about 20 miles a day, if you just, over the span of his ministry, of what we know his ministry was. So here's some conservative estimates. During his three years of ministry, it's estimated that Jesus walked over 3,000 miles. 3,000 miles miles. During his life, the estimate is over 21,000 miles. And again, these are conservative estimates. See, the, the scriptures didn't record everything. In fact, John says in John 21, 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written and so there was aspects and, and, and parts of Jesus' ministry that were not recorded. In fact, probably more that wasn't recorded that was. Stories of people's lives that were impacted that we don't know about. So many more, who, who, uh, so many more journeys that were taken and so many more miracles that were performed and so many conversations that were had and meals that were shared along the way. But here's what we do know is that everywhere that Jesus went, people's lives were changed. He's, their, their lives were changed. They could not be changed or at least impacted in some way. 
See, the busyness of our lives and and the pace of our lives can so often distract us from Jesus, from walking with him. It's interesting, we we use that term. If you've been around church at all, uh, for any amount of time, you've heard about the walk, right? I'm walking with Jesus. How's your walk is a question question that, that, that people will ask each other. How's your walk? And what they're talking about, usually when we ask that is, how well are you performing? How well are you doing? And, and we set our minds to, I gotta, I gotta walk the walk, right? Anyone? And I gotta walk the walk. We put these burdens on ourselves, which I believe that Jesus doesn't wanna lay on us. I've, I've grown up in church, I've felt that pressure. I felt that, oh, got to read your Bible and pray every day, right? We sang a song about it. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible, don't pray every day, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. Now, there's truth to that, but there's not a lot of grace to it, right? There's truth to it. But so often in, in the church, we, we speak the truth without the love. We speak the truth without the grace. And, and just like Jesus says to the Pharisees, hey, you're loading down the people with all of these rules, and they're missing me in the midst of it. I may, I'm going to make some broad statements today, and it might not apply to you directly. So don't be like, that's not me. I'm, do, I'm doing, my walk is good, and that's fine. I, it's, it's, I'm not trying to accuse anyone, but I've grown up in the church, in Western Christianity, and what I'm observing and what so many others are observing is that we have a pace of life and ministry in the modern church that we get so busy that we could miss Jesus in the midst of it. We focus specifically on the Word of God. So often we ask the question when we come to the Word of God, what can I get out of it? Well, we'll ask people in a small group setting, so what did you get out of your reading this week? Right? It's made its way very subtly into our language. What did you get out of it? Or, or people would say this, well, I read my Bible this morning, but I didn't get anything out of it. Could I just suggest you're doing it wrong? (laughs) I didn't get anything out of it. Or I need to quickly do my devotions so I can get on with the rest of my day. Let me get this out of the way. Listen, church, what we're saying is let me just get Jesus out of the way. Let me just check that box sometimes literally, so that I can get onto the busyness of my life. I know this. If I treated my wife the way I treat Jesus, I would not have a marriage. If I treated my wife the way that I treat Jesus so often, I would not have a marriage. And that stings a little bit, But I know in my life that's so often the case. See, we spend a few minutes in the Word, or maybe a few minutes in prayer, 
And then we go through the rest of our day largely ignoring Jesus. What I know about my relationship with Megan is those times where we're not together, we're texting each other, we're thinking about each other. There's moments where we check in with each other. Hey, how are you doing? Right? And I can't wait to come home to uh, my family and to my wife in the evening if I've, not seen, if I've not seen her throughout the day. How much more should my relationship with Jesus be marked with a constant awareness and engagement with who he is? Okay, I'm, I'm starting out kind of heavy. But here, here's what stuck out to me as we were driving in the bus down the Jordan Valley. So we started out, we were in Tiberias, right up here. In fact, the, the kibbutz that we stayed at was just out, outside of Magdala. And we headed out of Tiberias, stopped in uh, just south of Tiberias, got baptized in the Jordan. And we started driving down the Jordan Valley towards Jerusalem. I'm looking out the bus, the window of the bus, and I start imagining Jesus walking. And a whole group of people, now there's not a lot out there. It's not, it's not built up even today. But they've identified the ancient roads. They know where the roads were where Jesus walked. In fact, the roads where there's paved roads today in Israel, they were built over the places where the ancient roads existed. And so it's not a stretch to say the places where we were driving were literally the places where Jesus would have been walking. And so I'm just looking out the window and I'm picturing Jesus walking with the disciples and with a crowd of people. And here's what I saw just in my mind's eye in that moment. I saw laughter. I saw loaves of bread being passed around and jars of water being shared and arms draped over each other. And I found in my heart... Just this yearning to say, I want to know Jesus like that. I want to walk with him. I I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) I want to walk with him like that. And so I'd like for us to take a little journey together. To walk in some of the places where Jesus walked. To experience some of the moments. To unpack a little bit what was happening. What was the scene? What was going on? What was the culture what truly happened in those moments. By the way, um, I've mentioned this before. Next, next fall, I'm hoping that, that we will be able to take a, a group to Israel. If you're interested, if you'd like to know more, there'll be more information. We're coordinating with a couple other different churches. Um, and, and we're going to go and spend probably about 13 days in Israel and do a tour in Israel. And so um, it's expensive, but that doesn't, money doesn't matter to God. He can take care of that. Um, but such, I just kept fi- finding myself everywhere I went. I was like, Lord, I wish, I wish my family was here. I wish my wife was here. I wish my church could see this. And so we're going to try and open up that opportunity to go and do that. I'm going to ask the ushers real quick to, could you quickly in a hurry? No, I'm just kidding. Um, they're going to pass out uh, a little sheet of paper. This is one of the tools that we're going to use along this journey. Um, and this morning, I'm going to refer to the top part of this, section, uh, this paper, top section of this paper, and then the rest of what's on this paper is for next week, and, and I'll explain that in just a second. I was introduced fairly recently 
to uh, an approach to reading Scripture called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina was developed in the third century um, by, uh, it was a monastic discipline, um, and it's been practiced in monasteries around the world for centuries. Uh, It's an approach to Scripture that slows you way down and stops being about just, hey, let me just quickly read. Uh, can Can I admit something to you real quick? I've never in one year read the Bible from cover to cover. I haven't. And I have carried such guilt and shame over that. What kind of pastor doesn't read the Bible cover to cover? No, I've read the Bible in its entirety throughout my life. But I'm just not that guy. I'm just not that guy. And so what I want to present to us as a church is some people like that. Hey, every day you've got that checklist, you've got the Bible reading Right, And you're like, I'm meeting Jesus in the midst of that. Awesome, keep doing it. Some of us need to slow down a little bit, little bite-sized pieces. Lectio Divina, what it does is it, it helps shape a way and, and, and forge a way of engaging with Scripture that kind of slows it down and gives us an opportunity to engage. And so, very quickly, I want to read through this, give some context to it, and then we're going to talk about one story in scripture today. So, so there's, um, there are four initial uh, aspects of Lectio Divina when you come to scripture. Uh, I, there's one additional that more recently has been added, and it's the silencio, the silence at the beginning. And so I'm just going to walk you through this kind of engagement with scripture. It, it goes like this, that you would set aside a time to sit with Jesus, and you would start with silence, 60 seconds or more if needed, to just be still. What does the Bible say? Be still and know that I'm God. And I'm not talking about just eliminating the distractions on the outside. We're distracted on the inside. Be still. Allow your heart rate to just settle. Right? Our bodies are we're constantly coursing with adrenaline and cortisol and all of these chemicals in our bodies that ramp us up. But when we just sit for a few minutes and maybe take some deep breaths. What it does is it just slows us down. Spend some time in silence. Lectio is this, reading. Read the text out loud, slowly, listening to what the text says. Reread it two to three times. One thing you can do is insert your name into the text. After you have read it, go back and read it again. But this time, insert your name. Personalize it. The out loud is, is, uh, is a good practice as well. And then m- meditatio. I'm probably going to say it wrong, but it's okay. To meditate. Reflect on what words or word or phrases or sentences speak to you. What is Jesus trying to say to you? Because he's always speaking. He's always Speaking, and then there's just place to write them down. No format, whatever works for you. Just write those down. But sit in that passage for a while. What is what is standing out? You might need to read it a few times. And then Horatio, pray. Pray a prayer in response to what God has stirred in you. And then lastly, contemplatio. To contemplate, rest in the presence of God, spend a few minutes allowing the revealed words to take root, and then continue to contemplate the words 
throughout the day. Slow down and let Jesus speak. Hear his voice. Here's what we're going to do along this journey. I said this morning that this passage, Matthew 14, 13 through 21, this is the text for next Sunday. This is the text for next Sunday. I'll be preaching on this passage. What I'd like for you to do and invite you to do, take the sheet and this week spend some time. Read this. Read it a few times. Read it over a few days. Maybe you'll even, maybe, maybe the Lord speak to you and say, hey, set aside the reading plan and just sit in this one paragraph for a whole week. Hebrew says that the word of God is alive, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. This, this passage could speak to you, if it's all you had for the rest of your life, this one passage, God could speak to you through it every single day of your life. Allow the Lord to speak to you, and then come next week, bring this with you, and then as I share, I believe the Lord, what He wants to do is confirm things in your heart to say, yep, remember I said that to you this week, or to bring revelation so that's Lectio Divina. We're going to talk about that even more in, in the coming months. Um, but I'm excited about what this can mean for our church. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42 this morning. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. (laughs) Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I'm sure you've heard sermons preached on this passage before. Probably really good sermons, maybe even by me. Not the good part, but the fact that I preached it. <laughs> this morning, though, can we allow the Lord to speak to us what he needs to communicate to our hearts? So, Jesus, we, we silence ourselves for, let's just take 30 seconds. Jesus, would you speak to us this morning? We'd love to hear your voice. Amen. So Jesus had left Galilee. He was in the north of the country. And in the chapters preceding Luke chapter 10, he'd been in Galilee and he says, we're going to 
moved towards Jerusalem. In fact, it says in Scripture that he turned his attention resolutely towards Jerusalem and started making his way down to Jerusalem. As I mentioned, it's a distance of about 110 miles, so here to San Diego. What we don't catch, though, in this map is that the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake uh, in the world. It's about 500, 600 feet below sea level. Uh, the, the Dead Sea, by the way, is about 1,800 feet below sea level. So from the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is at about 3,000 feet above sea level, or 2,700 feet above sea level. So a climb of about 3,000 feet that Jesus made, right? So 110 miles, but you're also ascending. When they say, let us go up to Jerusalem, you're literally going up to Jerusalem from every part of, of, uh, of Israel. You're going to be going up to Jerusalem. And so he starts making this journey. Luke doesn't mention the name of the village, but we know uh, from John's account and, and, and John's telling the stories of uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus that they lived in the town of Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. In fact, you can see it. I know it's a little hard to see in the back there. We make him, do, am I ringing a little bit? Do I have a little bit of a ring? Okay, I've got a little echo up here. Okay. Um, so Bethany uh, is just to the east of Jerusalem, just a few miles. And, and Bethany was kind of like Jesus' base, base of operation when he was in Jerusalem, when he would be in Jerusalem, going to the temple, going to worship, uh, and, and teaching a, a, at the temple. Bethany is, is, was his landing place. It was his, uh, his base of operation, his, kind of his home away from home, except for the fact that Jesus, well, he didn't have a home. In fact, Jesus says, says of himself that he was, he was homeless. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And for those three years, at least of his ministry, he didn't have his own place to live. He gave up uh, everything. So we know that he's in Bethany here with Mary and Martha. By the way, it's also the place when uh, it's an easy access when he would go to Jerusalem. And we, he would go over the Mount of Olives and down through the Garden of Gethsemane. And so all of these things are right there in proximity to each other. I want to share four quick thoughts with you this morning about this passage. First is this. Jesus enjoyed being in the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He liked being there. It's why he, he returned to that place. He enjoyed being in this home. Like I said, it was, it was like a home to him, and they welcomed him. He was, they, they, they were friends of his. We know that because when it's, they talk about Lazarus dying, and the news comes to Jesus, they come to Jesus and say, our friend Lazarus has died. Right? So he wasn't just an acquaintance. These, these ladies were not just an acquaintance. And in fact, if you consider that there were so many different aspects and so many different ways that Jesus ministered, and we have these, just these snapshots, these recordings of, of some of what uh, he did, the fact that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus make it into Scripture so many times is significant. They, they played a, a large role in his life. It was the same Mary who, by the way, washed Jesus' feet and dried his feet with her hair, the same lady. See, Jesus was on a mission for sure. We know that, right? In fact, it's, it's the part of Jesus' life that we tend to focus on. Jesus had a job to do. 
He came to earth and he had a plan. He was going to the cross. He was going to die and he was going to raise again and he was going to forgive our sins. And he was just on a mission. But along the way, he built relationships. And he got to know people and he enjoyed being with them. This might be hard for us to wrap our heads around. And Christy touched on this during our prayer this morning at the end of worship. Jesus enjoys being with you. He loves being with you. He loves getting to spend time with you. He just does. He loves you. See, God is all about relationship. He's all about relationship. Jesus wants to spend time with you. As much as he loved being in the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he loves to come into your place, into your life, into your home, to sit with you, to enjoy time with you. Jesus enjoys being with you just as much as he did with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Second is this. Mary chose what was better. Mary chose what was better. Now listen to this. It wasn't the only thing. It wasn't the only thing, but it was the better, better thing. Now Jesus does say, indeed only one thing is necessary or needed, but he doesn't completely eliminate the value of what Martha was doing. That he never confronts Martha and said, what is wrong with you? If, you? if you knew who I was, you would stop doing the work you're doing and you would come sit at my feet as well. The only time it starts being a problem is when Martha starts comparing herself to Mary and vice versa. Then it becomes an issue. Jesus was on a mission and there was work to do. Martha was busy. She was Getting her home ready. If you've ever had guests at your home, you understand what this is like. We've got to make sure everything's ready and we've got to feed all these people because Jesus just doesn't come by himself. He comes with a whole entourage. And so I've got bread to bake and food to prepare and olives to press and all kinds of things that need to, ha to happen, right? There's hummus to be made. Lots and lots of hummus and falafel and shawarma and we got to get ready, and I want to put my best foot forward for Jesus. And so she's serving Jesus in her way. But when she comes to Jesus and now is complaining, saying, this sister of mine is lazy, I'm doing all the work, can you tell her to come and do the work with me? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Martha, you're distracted. You're just distracted. You're busy. Your life is so full and you're so focused on these things that you're missing the big picture. That you're missing an opportunity. Mary has tapped into something that's so valuable. She's sitting at my feet. She's spending time with me. Jesus knowing, of course, that his life would be taken from him. That he wasn't going to be there for the, the long haul. And so there's this moment that Mary has with Jesus sitting at his feet. She's chosen the better thing. She's chosen the better thing. Serving is important. 
but not at the expense of being with Jesus. Serving is important, but not at the expense of being with Jesus. In fact, our ability to do is greatly diminished when we neglect being. The statistics about pastors around our country who are quitting the ministry or burning out or failing are staggering. And as they're doing kind of the autopsy, find out what's going on. One of the primary things we're discovering is this, is pastors get so busy doing ministry, they neglect being with Jesus. But it's not just true of pastors, it's true of all of us. That ministry can just become this thing. Church can become this thing that we got to go, 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 do, 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 add, 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 more, more, more. And Jesus says, whoa, those aren't bad things in and of themselves. But if you're not spending the time with me that you need to spend, all of those things don't matter. I need to be a part of it. I need to be a part of your life. That kind of life, by the way, Leads to a couple of things. It leads to a performance mentality. My value is now determined by what I do and how much I perform. It leads us to a place of comparison. I'm busy doing stuff for you, Jesus, and my sister is just sitting there doing nothing. And Martha had this idea in her head that she was more important than Mary because Mary was just sitting and Martha was doing Comparison is dangerous, dangerous ground for us, right? It's dangerous when we start looking around the church going, well, I do more than that person does. Oh, (laughs) you need some time with Jesus. Not for him to spank you, but to put his arm around you and go, friend, your value is not wrapped up in what you do. It's not wrapped up in what you do. It's wrapped up in who I say you are. Comparison leads us to guilt. I'm not doing enough. I should be doing more. I should have accomplished more at this stage of my life. Why haven't I seen the kind of fruit that other people are seeing in their life? What am I doing wrong? And there's this guilt, which of course then leads to shame. And can I tell you this morning, Jesus doesn't shame us ever. Ever. That he is not a God of shame. In fact, Steve talked about that last week, right? Regret and shame. We don't have to die. Jesus died already. But sometimes we feel like, oh, I've got to just die on this hill. Jesus doesn't shame us ever. Now, the Holy Spirit will convict us, but it's not the same as shame. Godly sorrow leads us to Jesus. Shame pushes us and drives us away. Shame destroys. Mary has chosen what is better. That when we sit at the feet of Jesus, when we take time in our week, in our day, throughout our day, to simply sit with Jesus and hear his voice, to calm and quiet the other voices in our lives and say, Lord, what are you saying? What are you trying to communicate? What's your heart? Even when we face difficult circumstances, to just pause 
before we speak, right? Because that never gets us in trouble, right? Just to pause and just actually think, Father, how would you handle this? Jesus, what would you say in this moment? And it'll just snap you right back to, to a place you need to be. Mary has chosen what is better. Don't neglect sitting at the feet of Jesus. Next thing is this. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. See, it was not a woman's place to sit at the feet of the rabbi in that culture. It was not her place. In fact, in the synagogue, there, there was a separation. The women were on one side and the men were on the other side. And now, of course, they're in their home, but Jesus is here and it says that he's teaching. And Mary leaves the kitchen and she comes in and it says that she sits right at his feet. And just get this picture in your mind. There's a room full of people. There's a crowd. And Mary presses through the crowd and she's like, I'm sitting as close as I can to Jesus. It's pretty audacious. And Jesus welcomes her. There's no sense of, hey, you're a woman and your place is in the kitchen with the other woman. This is a man's domain. I'm so thankful that I'm a part of a church and a denomination that embraces women in ministry and leadership. It is one of the distinctives about our Foursquare family. Because if we don't, we're missing out to say that some people are welcome at the feet of Jesus and others are not. Whether it's because of your gender or because of your race or your culture or your background or whatever, Jesus just eliminates all of that. In fact, that's why we have to read our Bibles, right? Paul says there's no male or female, Jew, Greek, slave, free. It doesn't matter. We're all the same when we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's good news for us. Well, I've only known Jesus for a week. You're welcome at his feet. I've known Jesus for 45 years. You're welcome at his feet. That it's a place for everyone. Everyone is welcome at the feet of Jesus. His arms are open wide. And then finally this morning he says this. What she's chosen, the thing that she's elected, what Mary's chosen, which is indeed the only thing that's necessary and that's significant for us to, to think about. There's lots of things that you can do in the name of Jesus. But there's only one thing that's needed and necessary. And that's to be with him. He says it will not be taken from her. And it will not be taken from you. Consider for a minute what can be taken from you. What can be taken? Your possessions can be taken from you. Your wealth can be taken your status can be taken. Your relationships and people can be taken from you. Your freedom, your freedom can be taken. Your health and even your very life, at least in this flesh. All of these things, all of these things can be taken from you. 
I have the opportunity this week to uh, perform uh, a funeral service for for a gal I've never, a lady I never met. Her daughter is a friend of someone in our church, and they called and said we need a pastor who would lead this service. And this lady got up in the morning to take a shower, had some pain, collapsed after getting out the shower rushed to the hospital, found out she has stage 4 cancer, and by 11 o'clock that night, her life was taken from her. This is temporary. Now I got to sit with her daughter yesterday and we talked about her life and celebrated who she was as a person. I'm so glad to know that she knows Jesus, this lady knew Jesus. And so she's in a place now where she is literally face to face with the Lord. But the things that we cling to and hang on to in this world can be taken from us. So when Jesus says what she is after, what she is receiving cannot be taken from her, it means that there's something deeper going on here. That there is a deposit that has been made into her soul because of her relationship with Jesus. And her soul will last for eternity. On top of that, even if you were to lose everything in this life, if you were walking with Jesus in such a way that he was investing in your very soul into the deepest parts of you, who you are, your circumstances complete, could completely change. Yet that could not be taken from you. We hear about people around the world and throughout the ages who've been persecuted because of the name of Jesus. People who've been beaten and taken captive and locked up because of their faith. And over and over and over throughout scripture and beyond, the stories we hear is this. People facing the worst adversity and the the worst pain of their lives and the response of their lives is... Worship, blessing the Lord, praising Him. Why? Because what's been deposited in their lives because of their relationship with Jesus cannot be taken. And then I think about my life and I have a bad day because the traffic on the 210 was bad and someone cut me off. And I feel like I have to go back And get saved all over again. I don't. But you know what I'm talking about. I feel like I've got to come groveling back to Jesus. Because it just robbed me that situation. And that circumstance. Robbed me of my joy. Robbed me of my peace. Robbed me of the very things that keep me tied to Jesus. It's indicative of a life that is not being spent in the presence of Jesus. And I'll just call myself out. You can do that for yourself before the Lord. What I love about this little church is that Jesus' invitation is just that. Hey, I'd love to spend some time with you. No guilt, no condemnation, no shame. I just, I just love to spend some time. And the invitation each morning is extended. Could we spend some time together? Would you walk with me? Would you spend time just contemplating and thinking about who I am? Because those are the things that can't be taken from you. You're going to go to the office today and it's going to be a rough day. 
But if you're, if you're abiding in me and spending time with me, that can't be taken. And so I want to invite us as a church this week and as we move through this series, take time this week to sit at the feet of Jesus. Slow down. Slow down. Linger in his presence. Walk with him. Walk with him. Learn to hear his voice again. Because I know this. He will meet you along the way. Let's stand and pray and invite the worship team to come.